Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. We're, we're going to get into the Word in just a second, but just... I just want to encourage you. Now, we've got a lot of sick people, so obviously if you're sick, ignore what I'm about to say. Um, but sometimes I, I hear from people going, and they're usually, I don't know, annoyed about something. Um, and I, I keep a couple of open dialogues going with, with people who I know love Jesus but don't go to church anymore. And uh, sometimes they're like, oh, why do we gather together? This is why we gather together. Because when the enemy comes at you and you are isolated, you, are, you will struggle to understand and discern if it is the enemy or if it's just something going on in your brain. But if you come together with fellow believers in your time of trouble, you can bring that to them and they can help discern with you what's going on. Or if you're doing fine, you come and someone else is in a time of trouble because it's life. <laughs> someone else is going through grief if you're not. And as you come together, the body of Christ uses their gifts to bless one another and to discern the will and wisdom of God. So I just want to encourage you, maybe there's someone in that room who needed that today, maybe online, or uh, maybe I'm just speaking out of things that I think are true. Anyway, uh, great to be with you. Let's get into the word. Ladies and gentlemen, Cooper Smith. Hello, church. Um, My name's Cooper. I'm an intern this year. Uh, Today's teaching text is from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go, I am sending you out like a lamb among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. But move, don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. Then say, this is God's word. Thanks, mate. Hey, uh, we're starting a series called Multipliers today, and uh, we'll be going through that over the next six weeks with a little break for next week as we spend time um, sharing with Enfield for Pentecost, which is 
Always exciting. And I want to encourage you, if you're here and you're brand new and you're not currently a part of a church and you're either exploring or you're just going, I have no idea whether church is a thing I'm interested in or maybe you're you're between churches, I want to encourage you, stick around for the series. You know, it's only six weeks. You've you've got the whole rest of your life to not come back if you don't want to. But uh, sometimes it's helpful to be around for a whole series before you get a sense of going, you know what, this is a place I want to call home. So that's my challenge to you. Don't just come along today, stick around for the series, and I, I hope and pray that it's something impactful. It's something that um, has been brewing in me for a while, the need to bring this idea with hopefully some clarity before our congregation, because my, my belief, pretty firmly held belief, my conviction even, is that every church is called to be a multiplying church. What I mean by that is that we're not meant to be churches that are stagnant, Right? One of the great definitions of church is that it's the only organization in the world that's designed to serve people who are not its members. So we're never meant to be stagnant. But at the same time, we're not meant to be additive. Right? Now let's imagine, we're, we're a church of roughly 100 on a Sunday, a little bit bigger, but roughly 100. Let's imagine we're a church of 100 and we grow at the normal salvation rate of the Australian church, which is one person per 100 members per year. That's average, average. That would mean for us to grow to a church of 200, if we're doing an addition process at that rate, would take us 100 years, which practically would also mean that every one of the 100 people who was here and worshipping would not be leading someone to faith in Jesus. A couple of problems that I see with that that I'm not going to bother bringing up because you're all smart people and I think you can see them as well. This is not what we want. This is not God's vision. If we do that, it's like me saying, I'm going to go and tell Jenny about Jesus. And then I'm going to hand the baton over. And Jenny will then go and tell Mackenzie. But I've done my job, so I'll just sit down. I'll be in church the rest of my life. That's not what God wants for you, friends. It's not what he wants for me. He wants us to be a multiplying church in the way that we approach other people, in the way we approach our faith, and the way we grow in that, in the way we gather, and the way we go out. So we're going to share about that over these next four or five weeks. And um, Charlie, can you just pop up the little wheel? You see the little wheel slide? There we go. Um, Really, worship's meant to be in the middle, but I couldn't make Canva change it for me. So... (laughs) because I'm in my 40s. But I did use Canva successfully because I'm still a millennial. And the principle I want to point out here is is less about the wheel because really there's these four movements and worships in the centre of it all. But it's the idea that evangelism and discipleship and gathering and being sent out on mission are all part of the same whole. They do not stop we share our faith, we grow in faith, we gather together to work out what that means, and then we go out to do it on mission. And in the center of it all is a life of worship. That is what we're going to be talking about over these next five weeks, what it means to live that life out as followers of Jesus. It's an exciting and beautiful thing. And I've named today not evangelism, but taste. Everybody say taste. Hands up. Who like loves a free tasting? I mean, if your hand isn't up, I'm going to pray for you because it is one of the true joys in life. If you go into Hague's and you're like, no, thank you. <laughs> then even if you're lactose intolerant, just, just eat it. It's good. It's Hague's. Deal with the consequences. 
a free sample is one of life's great joys. And that taste, why do they give you a taste? Because they assume that if you taste it, you're going to want to buy it. You're going to go, that is some good stuff. I will spend an exorbitant amount of money on chocolate that I in no way need to, but will thoroughly enjoy every moment of eating. That's what they want you to do. At Costco, everyone's offering a taste. You walk around with a shopping trolley doing a taste like, I'll have one of those, I'll have one of those. I'm not paying a thing except for my membership, which I already had to pay for to get in here. And I'll have one of those and one of those. And you can taste like 12 different things before you get out and go, oh, that was pretty weird and brands I don't recognize, but that's fine. It was good to have the taste. They give you the taste so that you will see that it is good. Which is why in the Psalms we hear the psalmist writing, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just, just have a little taste. Like, no, 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 I don't want to. I'm worried about it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just, just, just have a little bit of Jesus. It'll be all right. I promise. I promise. But it won't. It'll change you. Because once you taste of the Lord and, and you understand what God is about and who he is and his character and what he is doing for you and what he has done for you, it begins to transform you. On a side note, I could argue that our communion is almost too delicious. Like I was taking it tonight with Sarah. Like it was so good that I was like, this crust. Like I was just savoring the crust. I'm mean, sorry, Lord. Body of Christ, give it to me. It's outstanding stuff. Breaking bread bakery, Angston. Check it out. So good. Probably not how I'm meant to preach, but I tasted it. And my goodness, it was good. In the same way, one of the first things we hear about how disciples came to follow Jesus is not Jesus going, drop your nets and follow me. I think we think that's the first thing. One of the first things we actually hear is in John's gospel where Andrew goes to his brother Peter and he's like, hey, I think I met the Lord. I'm like, where? Come and see. Oh, you mean you want me to drop my nets? No, 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 just like come over here with me. Let's have a look. Oh, there's another guy, Nathaniel, who gets witnessed to, and he's like, ah, come on, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Philip, his friend, is like, just come and see. Just come and check it out. Don't overthink it. I'm not asking you to commit your life here. Come and see. That's how it all begins, just with a little taste, just to come and see. Come and try out Jesus for yourself. That is the prayer of God for you. He doesn't want you to believe in somebody else's God. He wants you to have a relationship with you personally. And more than that, he wants you to be a part of helping someone else have that personal relationship. That's his joy and desire for you, that you would partner with him in that. You can trust your senses about the goodness of God. Now, if I told you that every single one of you has the power just to go, hey, non-Christian friend, I don't know why they would be called that, but... I went to church on Sunday. Do you know what most of them would say? They'd be like, oh yeah. Like they would be neither excited nor stunned. They, they, would, be, they would not be afraid. There would not be a sense of shock and awe. Most of them would be like, oh, that's interesting. Do you know why? Because they know you already. And studies have shown that while Australia doesn't like Christianity, Australians do like Christians they know which means that maybe we have struggles with institutions and structures, but actually we're big on relationships. 
which means that you, right now, wherever you are, in whatever state you are in, in whatever you have been through in this last week, whatever season you have gone through, however confident and strong you feel in the Lord, right now you are equipped to be Christ's ambassador wherever you are, exactly as you are, to the people who need it right now. You are equipped right now. You don't need to wait. You do not need to go to Bible college. In some cases, I found that unhelpful. Sorry, Bible colleges. But you are equipped right now. You are the body of Christ. You are Christ's ambassadors. You have the Holy Spirit within you. That's what I want to dig into today around Luke chapter 10 and evangelism, because this is what some of the data suggests. And my friend Tim P.S., who was here a couple of weeks ago, preached a beautiful message on our birthday, would say that Australians have a collective trauma about the idea of evangelism. This idea that we kind of just start shaking at the idea of sharing our faith with somebody else. Even though for most of us who call Jesus our Lord, hopefully all of us, it's the single greatest event that's ever happened to us when someone shared their faith with us. I was privileged to preach at a, uh, a Korean youth uh, event about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And uh, I was invited by a friend of mine that I went to high school with. And at high school, I had no idea this guy was a Christian. And at his youth event that he invited me to, I called him out. I was like, I wish you had shared your faith with me as a teenager because I needed that. And you might have had to invite me a couple of times along to youth group. And you might have had to sit me down and explain that your church is Korean and I might be the only white guy there. But I desperately needed that. And even if I'd said no the first time, man, I really needed that person to come back the second time and invite me again. That is the power of the gospel in people's lives. The need that is there that we need to remember. We're still friends, so I think he forgave me for that. But uh, it, it's, it's a real thing. And I believe that there are five major blockers that stop us sharing the gospel. I want to talk about them as we go through this passage together today. Is that all right? Good. Luke chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them. I'm just going to be preaching straight out of it today. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Now, the 72 others are important. Because when we hear about the disciples, what's the number we normally think of? Anyone? 12. Right. Very good. Great biblical number. Represents the tribes of Israel. 72 does not. And we're like, where, where do these 72 come from? Well, I'll tell you. The 12, they've already done what Jesus is about to talk about. He sent them out as sort of the first warriors, on the first missionaries. They came, they did some miracles, and then they came back, and Jesus was like, that was pretty cool. Let's try it with 72 this time. Let's try it with six times as many people. Do you know what else it means? The 72 were not the cream of the crop. That's if we're calling the 12 the cream of the crop, bearing in mind one of them betrayed Jesus to his own death. The 72 were just kind of the next level down. This is important because I think most of us in Australian Christianity don't look at ourselves and go, I'm the cream of the crop here. I am missionary numero uno. There's a very small amount of people that feel supremely confident on mission. Most of us go, I'm just, I'm just a guy. I'm just a girl. I'm just, I'm just trying to live life and, and be faithful and I find it difficult. Well, good news. We had the 72 and they were sent out on mission and this is what happened. He sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He was prepping the ground. He told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. 
The first blocker that I think comes up with sharing our faith is really simple, and it's just distraction. It is just simple distraction. I was wrestling with myself of whether it was laziness and distraction, but I don't think so. I don't know many people that go, I don't share my faith because I'm lazy. I do know a lot of people that go, oh, I just, I just didn't think about it. I, I don't know. It just didn't seem to be that important to me. And then when we start explaining it and go, oh, well, was it important to you when it happened to you? Yeah, of course it was. Okay, so it might be important to the next person as well that you need to share them with. But our lives are very full, aren't they, church? Aren't they, online church? Our lives are very full, and we have a tendency to prioritize different things, and many of them are things that we find comfortable, not helpful. How many people have prioritized the comfortable over the helpful, particularly when you're not going very well? You're like, you know what, I just need like three oodies and a terrible movie that is my comfort food. Um, you've all got one. Yeah, mine's Actually, mine's a great movie because, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but... But uh, still, we've all got our comfort movies that you watch and you go, I don't really care what you think about this movie. I need this right now. But the point is this, Jesus is not calling us to a life of comfort. He's actually calling us not to get distracted by things outside of that. That doesn't mean you shouldn't live a normal life. Not everybody is called to be a preacher and teacher. Otherwise, I don't get paid. Not everybody is called to be a foreign missionary. Not everybody is called to something different. We are all called to different things. But in that is bearing witness to others. So don't get distracted from the mission of God. The disciples here, they had to be appointed and sent by Jesus. Appointed, commissioned, sent by God. Because they were obviously not doing that at the time. I said, Jesus is going, this is what I need you to do. Go out. And go out in pairs. The buddy system, very important. You don't need to evangelize in pairs, but you do need to have people who are supporting you in prayer and in your spiritual life. You need to have people who are alongside you, cheering you on. Otherwise, you will end up falling apart. Did you know that the number one reason people finish in ministry is not, uh, not you know, apart from good retirement, is not because they have some major fall from sin, they just get discouraged. And half the time, as a minister, I think they get discouraged because they're too darn stubborn to reach out to a brother or sister in Christ and say, would you walk with me and journey with me in this? I'm struggling. Don't fall for that. Verse 3. So Jesus tells them to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. He doesn't say pray for the harvest. He says the harvest is fine, but pray for more workers. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Thanks, Jesus. They didn't say. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. The second reason we have blockers to sharing our faith with people is we just don't back ourselves. We look around and we're like, man, this seems hard. Wow, I don't have the knowledge. I can't share my faith because what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? Let me tell you something. If you are silly enough slash brave enough to continue sharing your faith, you will only get answers, questions you don't know the answers to because people will start asking them from different cultural backgrounds to you or you get older and you forget what it used to be like at that age and you start giving instruction, like advice that's good for you but people younger than you are like, this doesn't apply to me or vice versa to somebody older than you or somebody just asked a totally whack question, I've fallen in love with my AI, what do I do? No one's ever said that to me, but it is the plot of the movie Her, so who knows? It might be possible. But in Acts chapter 4, John and Peter are witnessing and they get in trouble. 
They get dragged before the Sanhedrin. And, they, and they, something happens when they're dragged before them and they question them. In the Greek, it says this, They were uneducated and untrained men. Focus on the word idiotes, which translates in the English to idiots. They were uneducated and untrained men. And they were impressed by this because they saw that the Lord had been with them. Your lack of knowledge, lack of education, lack of what you perceive as understanding can aid you if you rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're wise enough to be honest and say, I'm not sure I know the answer to that one. Let me come back and tell you next time we meet, which also, by the way, gets you another catch up with this person. Very handy tactic. But more than that, it's just real life. You go, do you know what? I don't have the answer to that question. I will pray for you, and then I'm also going to research it and come back to you. Easy. Agramatos idiotes. Untrained, uneducated, but effective. The Lord had been with them. There was healing evidence of it. There was boldness. There were salvations. Church, I believe that you can be those same idiots. I believe it. I believe it. Online church, don't think I'm forgetting you. Yeah, I believe you can be those same idiots. Powerful in the Lord. Uneducated and untrained. Okay, we could take offense to that. The key is they were powerful in the Lord. There was evidence of the presence of God there. Imagine someone looking at you and going, these guys have very little going on, but something is happening here. That's what was happening. We keep on going. Whatever house, I'm in verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. This is a key, key element because I think the thing we most think of, the thing that we think blocks us more than anything else in sharing our faith is we fear other people. We fear the rejection we might get. It's quite understandable. We fear that they will look at us with condemnation or mockery as we share our faith because faith is so personal, so important to us. We fear, full stop, which is fear. And we let that defeat us. But Jesus says this very carefully. He says, listen, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. Offer peace. Everywhere you go, you are a bringer of peace. When you're Christ's ambassador, you're an ambassador for peace. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. AKA, that's what, that's what we call a person of peace here at Encounter, somebody you're ready to share your faith with. But if it doesn't happen and they push back, they reject that peace, the peace will stay with you. The Spirit of God is not leaving you. You are not rejected. You are not crushed. They are saying no to God, not to you. And they are saying no now, in this moment, at this time, not once and for all. Relax, relax. The pressure of conversion from unchristian to Christian rests on the Holy Spirit, not on you. The pressure of being faithful to what's going on in your life rests on you. The honesty rests on you. But the pressure is all on God. Relax. Let God take the weight. Verse 7. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Now, I just want to pause on this don't move from house to house thing for a minute. 
Because I think sometimes, again, we, we can historically think, and I've I, I got to keep saying this until it sinks in, we can historically think that when we share our faith with somebody else, we are trying to have a transaction. You're like, Madam, can I interest you in a new and upgraded Christianity today? Comes with a free set of steak knives. You know, when, we're not trying to do a sales pitch. We're actually trying to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Which means that we share out of our relationship into exactly where they are now. Now, there's a couple of ways to look at this. Alpha call it the clock face of evangelism because the average, uh, Christ, the average non-Christian thinks 12 different encounters with someone who's a follower of Jesus to help them make a decision that they believe in and want to follow Jesus. Um, it's probably more helpful for us to think it in a linear way, but let's say the stage is someone's journey in Christ. The temptation is to go, it's a touchdown thing. You get to the end, salvation, bang, we're done, walk away, we've done it. The reality is it's a hike, it's a journey. We're starting here, we have an engage, engagement with somebody who just, we like them and they say, hey, can I pray for you? And you're like, oh, uh, okay. I guess so. And then a little while later, we're going through a tough time and a Christian friend is there for us. And, and, and it just draws us in a little nearer and we start to ask some questions. And, and then a friend says, oh, do you, do you want to come to Easter with me? Oh, okay. And, and, and suddenly, like, suddenly they find themselves at this line and something happens often. Sorry if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus yet. Often it's something that is not very good, but it forces you to reconsider your priorities in your life. God uses those. He doesn't force them upon you, I don't believe, but he uses those moments in order to draw you nearer to him. And in those moments where you understand that you are vulnerable and you're not in control of your own destiny, but thanks be to God, there is one who is and he loves you. We put our trust in Jesus. And then we go, what do I do? And then the temptation is to start sliding backwards. And this is where the church community comes in. They grab something like, why don't you jump into a family dinner with us and, and we just hang out together and learn what it means to be a Christian. Oh, yeah? Okay. Okay. Yeah, you seem to be enjoying this. You're growing. Why don't you jump on team and start saying, oh, okay. And you start to know more Christians. Oh, why don't you join Resilient Disciples where you actually go deep and understand what it means, uh, what your faith means. Okay, why don't you start leading one of these things? Okay. And then you find yourself like, wow, I'm a, I'm a long way from where I started. And there's 10, 12, 15, however many touch points. But you... Your job is to be faithful in the moment you're in. Your job is not to go, if I don't take them from there to there, their eternal destiny, and get into your own head, relax. Your job is to find the person where they are and go, I wonder if I can get them from here to here. I wonder if I can get them, this is the best part, right? It's the most fun part to get them from here to here, across the line. But then you still got more work to do. Like, man, I wonder if I can journey with them, get them from here to here. And step by step by step, we are drawing them nearer to Jesus in a process we call sanctification, becoming more like Christ. It is a beautiful thing. So stay in one place, investing in a person so that they know you are not trying to have a transaction from them, but a relationship with them because that models the relationship that Christ has with us. Amen. All right, let me push on. I'm almost at the end. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Verse 9, heal the sick who are there. Just do that, if you would. And tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. 
Now, this is the fourth point of why we don't share our faith with other people. We don't fear the consequences. We are not concerned with the consequences of people not having a personal faith in Jesus. This is not a shot. This is, this is everybody. When we stop and consider and go, wow, what are the consequences? Now, in this moment, as, as you hear this reference to Sodom, there's an infamous part of the Old Testament in Genesis where fire and brimstone, sulfur from heaven, destroys two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a really interesting reference because just a little bit earlier, Jesus has this same thing happen. He's going into a town. He sends his disciples ahead of him. Remember, go ahead of me to where I want to go to prepare a place for him. And it turns out they're saying, nah, you can't stay here. We, we're Samaritans, Samaritans rather. We hear you're going to Jerusalem. We don't want to borrow that. Get stuffed. You're not staying here. And uh, John and James, the sons of thunder, were like, Jesus, do you want us to pray that fire would rain down and destroy the town? Jesus is like, oh my gosh, chill out. No, we will just stay somewhere else. They're like, oh, bold, but okay. <laughs> I guess we'll just stay in a different town. She's like, yes, we'll stay in a different town. But then we go through to this passage just a few verses later, and he references the same thing, going back to the same part of the Old Testament. And he says, listen, you thought getting rained with fire and brimstone from heaven was bad? This is much worse. I'm like, what do you mean it's much worse? Now, I'm not going to get into a theology of hell here, but there are a couple of things that are very clear in the New Testament. Number one, hell exists, according to Jesus. And number two, God will not be present in hell. These two things are absolutely certain as per the New Testament. There are many, many other things we can get into. We can do that another time. But those two things are certain, which means that I believe what God is saying here through Christ is number one, it is far, far better for you not to be in that place. And number two, wherever God is absent is the worst place in the world. The presence of God is joy. The absence of God is disaster. Now, if you're here in this room and you don't yet believe in Jesus, I'm not, I'm not trying to do a scare tactic here. I'm just trying to explain a bunch of different points. Where you are right now, as somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, we would say the presence of God is here. Right here in this place, what we just call the general presence of God. We believe that God is omnipresent everywhere at all times, all the time. Hell is, in one sense, a place where God will be fully absent. We believe God is the author of joy, beauty, hope, salvation, everything that is precious and wonderful. That will be gone. So forget what you've seen in artwork or badly pitched TV sitcoms. And think more about the absence of beauty and joy and peace. We forget this when we don't share our faith. The people you are choosing not to share your faith with because we're afraid, we're distracted, or we think we don't have what it takes, they are at risk of being absent the presence of God. And this brings me to my last point and, and band, you guys can get back up if you like. We don't fear the consequences. That's important. But far more than that, because God is not a God of death. He's not a God of fear, but a God of invitation and life. Is we don't fully appreciate the benefit 
Let me say that again. We do not fully appreciate or believe the benefit. It's been said sometimes that our actions are shown, uh, sorry, our beliefs are shown by our actions. What we truly believe is shown by what we do. So when we do not share, Christians, I'm talking to you here, if you, if you wouldn't yet call yourself that or you're on the fence, relax. But if you're here and you're like, I definitely call myself a follower of Jesus, but I never ever share my faith, then I must ask the question, what do you truly believe about your faith? What do you truly believe? Do you believe that there is a benefit not just in going to heaven down there? That is, of course, is critically important. People's eternities matter. But what about having the presence of God with you right now? What, what about in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I, I haven't come to bring you death. I've come to bring you life and life in abundance. What about that joy, that hope, that peace? Do we have to contend for that? Absolutely. Is life still hard? Absolutely. Does Jesus call us into new life? Absolutely. One of, this is what uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15 say about this. How then can people call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how that can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Oh, so he's not talking about me, the preacher. He's talking about you, the preacher. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. One of my great heroes of the faith, a man named Timothy Keller, died uh, yesterday, or Friday, in the last 48 hours. And uh, he'd been suffering from pancreatic cancer. He's a prolific author and he's a wonderful, wonderful pastor. Never met him, never even seen him in person. But he's a great mentor and leader to many from distance. And, and Timothy Keller was a man whose great gift was to take a complex idea and make it very, very simple and communicable. And perhaps he did this uh, with, with the gospel better than anything else. Whenever he preached, he had this really simple formula. He would say, the gospel is not this. And the first this was sin. The gospel is not doing whatever you want and saying it's God's opinion. And then he would go, the gospel is not this, meaning religious behavior and rule following for the sake of approval. Be like, the gospel isn't that either. You can't try and follow rules to earn your way into heaven. But the gospel is this third way, not this, not this, but this. And whenever he communicated, this was his best description of it. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. More sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the exact same time, we have more love and acceptance in Jesus Christ than we could ever dare to hope. Most of us veer on one of those two sides. We veer towards sin. And by sin, more than anything else, I mean you think you're in charge. You control your own destiny. You get to do what you want. And if God wants to approve it, that's up to him. But whatever. That's not how life works, my friends. And when we run into true, true trouble, we realize that. And then a lot of people often the sort of people who end up in church, like me, lean more this way, where they go, if I follow the right rules and do the right things, then God will love me. I'll work my way into heaven. I'm going to behave my way into his good books. And God's trying to look at you and say, I, I need you to understand. I call you my child. When a child behaves, I'm thankful. It usually gives me peace of mind, but I don't love them anymore. 
and it doesn't affect their ultimate inheritance. In fact, you can earn your way out of God's good books because you can do it in such a way that God is no longer needed in your life. You construct an entire framework of religion and you push God to the side and say, I'll take it from here, thanks, mate. And in the middle, what Tim Keller was positing is this idea that there is the gospel. This is what we're called to bring. Evangelists bring the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. It's not bad news. It is good. It's not good advice. It's not an idea. It's something that happened. It is good news. And when we accept the gospel, we are saying at the same time, I am a sinner. I am so broken. I am so flawed. But at the same time, I'm fully loved and fully accepted. And those two things come together and I hold them in tension all my life. But it's the love that overcomes. And out of that, we share our faith, we live our life out of the pain and brokenness and and sense of struggle that we know we are a human being just doing our best. But at the same time, out of that brokenness while we share, we get to shine the love of Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul said it was like a a broken piece of pottery that light shines through the cracks and inside it is the most precious gift in the world. Jesus said it was like finding a pearl of great price and selling everything else you have to purchase this one thing. Literally sell the farm for the gospel. Friends, I say all of this um, because... I think we just need to start this series, this multiplying series, by recognising that there's nothing more important than the gospel. Nothing. Your family, your friends, your career, your joys, your sorrows, all of those find their fruition in the gospel. You are loved and accepted. You are broken and flawed all at the same time. And tonight, God's calling you to come home. 